Turn to 2 Timothy, if you've got your Bible. We're going to round out our study of 2 Timothy tonight. There's, again, there's so much we could say. There's more that I wanted to teach, but I think for the sake of time, we probably need to kind of move on. Uh, Part of that is because we're off next week. We have Friendsgiving, which will be a lot of fun. If you can come out to the house, it's not really at our house. It's at the barn. If you want to come out to the barn, bring a dish. We'll send another link to sign up. It's going to be a ton of fun. But we're off of here next Tuesday night. Then we have two weeks left before the greatest party of 2021, which will be our uh, our fancy Christmas party. And that's going to be excellent. There will be like a legit party band that I have booked up on the stage on December 14th and it will like it will be a party and uh, and it like the whole night will just be we're going to take you back we're going to take you back and it's going to be a dance and it's going to be great we did it at the height of COVID and my goodness we're going to do it again yeah and so we actually this is a side note like we won't put this on the podcast so we did so you don't have to listen to this in your car but we uh, we did have a party planned last year and I had only been on staff for about a month and we had this like big dance and it was going to be a ton of fun and it was going to be in here and then on December the 8th December the 8th who here was on December the 8th and you would know why you were here that night anybody anybody there's a few of you. The few, I see a few bold hands back there. The reason I know the night of December 8th is because that's the night that some of you gave me COVID. <laughs> and, and it was just like, it was an awesome night. And then on that Friday, I got a phone call. I was going to do a wedding. And on the way to the wedding, I got a phone call from none other than our very own, I'll just use her initials, Sarah Hill. Um, she, she called me and said, Thomas, I've tested positive for COVID. Well, she and Heather and I had talked that night and uh, Heather's my wife. And so the, I was like, man, Sarah, I'm so glad. I'm so sorry. You feel bad. I, I feel fine. And so I was headed off to do the wedding that night was like the worst sleep of my life. We were in a really, really nice hotel. And I just could have sworn to you the bed was the worst and, uh, it had nothing to do with the bed. I woke up the next morning and I was like, Heather, that bed was terrible. And I was kind of mad at her because she was sleeping soundly all night. Every time I looked at her, I was like, what's wrong with that girl? Uh, and anyway, like then we woke, I woke up the next morning, I woke her up and, uh, she said, you just didn't sleep good. You're just tired. Like you're fine. And I was like, you're probably right. Guys are kind of wimps. I get it. So I powered through, I did that wedding. You know how close you stand to a bride and a groom, right? Like you're not far away. Um, And so I did the whole wedding talking to them, hung out with a bunch of people, took pictures, kissed Heather under the mistletoe at this wedding. And uh, and then the next morning tested positive for COVID along with about 20 other people. The bride and groom actually ended up joining Christ's covenant. And uh, and so here's the deal. I called the bride's mom and I said, do we tell them? And the bride's mom said, hold on, let me get her dad. So the three of us had a powwow and we decided we will not tell them. So they went through their whole honeymoon having no idea and they never got it. Yes. Which was, thank the Lord for that. Yeah. And, uh, and now they have a baby. It's perfect. All right. So all that to say the the last week of this month on the 30th and December 7th, I really want to talk about Christmas. I love tying in the Old and New Testament, and so that's what we're going to do for a couple of weeks, and it's going to be really fun. Uh, So tonight, let's finish 2 Timothy. 
We're going to look at verses, chapter 3, verse 16, through chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Do this with me. Stand, and I'll read it out loud, and you look at it, and we'll stand out of respect for God's Word. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us tonight through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, give us a hunger for this book for all the right reasons, that we might know you as we examine the whole counsel of God that you've given us in these words. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So during the, the Reformation, uh, Martin Luther and buddies came up with these, these five solas. And, uh, and so they came up with, with five solas. And the word, the word solas means basically alone. So they came up with these five things that said, this is one of the only things that can be true Orthodox Christianity. And so let me just, uh, I, I don't remember, do I have a slide for that or no, Christian? No slide. So I'm just going to tell you. Um, you know what? Here we go. Uh, I have a marker and a pen. This is perfect. So the first one would be, and I'll move out of your way, sola scriptura, and then there's sola fide, and then there's sola gratia, and then there's sola Christus, and then there's sola day, this one you may know, Deo Gloria. So, what they said in the Reformation, because church and Christianity had gotten so confusing, they said, hey, let's make this as clear as we can make it. Scripture is going to be the basis for all that we learn about God. And everything good that comes out of Scripture, we'll expound on, we'll have sermons, we'll write books, we'll have theology, but it's all going to come out of here. It's not going to come out of human practice, human experience, things that happen uh, as we get together for a worship service. Like, we can, those can be things that add, that maybe add some punctuation or some exclamation or, uh, well, that is punctuation, but those will be things that kind of help us understand what, we're, what the Bible is talking about, but the Bible is going to be the Word of God. It's not going to be the clergy. It's not going to be the it's not going to be the church leaders. This is going to be what we base everything off of. And then it's going to be by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And they said we got to start somewhere. So where we're we going to start? Let's start with this book. 
And now, if any of you came from a Catholic background, you had more books than what are in here, but this book has 66 books, the canon that the Protestant church has used since the Reformation, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And so that is the book that this was based off of. They said, of these 66 books, we believe we find the whole counsel of God. And from here, from the sola scriptura, we can draw all of the teaching, understanding, theology, everything we need to know. Okay, so this is going to be, this is going to teach us how to have faith. It's going to teach us that grace is the only way. It's going to teach us that Christ is the only way. And it's going to teach us that this is all for the glory of God. And so the other four solas fall out of the idea of everything is bound in this book. Now, I think what we see in 2 Timothy 3 Paul is arguing this from way back before the Reformation. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. If you were here when we did uh, the Temple series back earlier in late summer, early fall, we, did, we looked at two strange chapters. We looked at Leviticus 23 and Leviticus 16. Those are two chapters that if in 2022 you decide, I'm going to read the Bible through. I'm going to read the whole Bible, and I'm going to go, let's say you do it the hard way. You start in Genesis 1-1, and you go straight through, and you read the whole thing to the end of Revelation. Well, you're going you're gonna to get to some places that you're like, whoa, that's a crazy story. Oh, that's exciting. I know some of you read the Bible for the first time this year, and there was stuff you read in there that you've never heard anyone teach on or talk about, and you thought, why has no one talked about this? Uh, either it was really confusing or you're like, somebody needs to preach that. That's a crazy story. Uh, so when you go through, you get to certain chapters, though, and you kind of start thinking about your Amazon cart. Like you, you're just like, oh yeah, I am reading the Bible. And, uh, or, you, you, or you read and you're like, why did they not have an editor? Like they could have condensed this whole passage every time they're like, and so-and-so's son was named so-and-so. And so-and-so, you're just like, just say, look, they had a bunch of names. Like here's the names of all their sons. Like condense those four pages. But every, all scripture is breathed out by God. And Paul is arguing this. And it's not Paul's idea, it's an ancient idea, more ancient than Paul. And that's why when you get to a Leviticus 16 or chapter 23, you pause and you take a deep breath and you say, this is here for a reason. God breathed this out. And that's what Paul's arguing. And so Paul is arguing here, I really think, for primarily the Old Testament. In one of my seminary classes, the challenge was, can you share Christ with someone only using Old Testament passages? When you look at Peter, when he teaches in Pentecost at the beginning of the book of Acts, he's only using Old Testament passages to tell about Christ. When you, uh, when you fast forward and you get to Stephen, the first martyr of the church, he's only using Old Testament passages when he argues for Christ. And so Paul is saying all scripture, he's primarily at this point thinking of the Old Testament, but I also believe he knows he's writing scripture. And so he's arguing for the whole of this, the stuff that he's writing, being inspired by God. It's breathed out by God. Now, here's another word for you. This idea of breathed out by God. If you're like a note taker and you kind of like strange things, then you're going to really like this word. It's a great little word. The idea of being breathed out by God. I should never close that marker again. 
Now that is a great word. Theopanustos. I don't know if you see the word pneuma in here, but the word pneuma is in there. That's the, that's the Greek word for breath. It's the breath of God. It's the beautiful thing. And it's the idea of this breath of God means the inspired word of God. And so Paul is saying this book is not just a good thought. This book is the inspired word of God. And so God's going to inspire different authors, over 40 of them. Some like Amos, who was a farmer. Now, I don't know, is anybody from like super small town? Okay. Anybody like 10,000 or less? There we go. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. All right. Now, imagine, imagine like the person who's got the thickest draw in your town when they talk. Imagine God inspiring them to write scripture. Now, is anybody from a big city? I'll count Atlanta, but bigger than Atlanta even. Anybody? Okay. We got a few folks bigger than Atlanta city. All right. Now, imagine the most sophisticated person in that city being inspired by God. God breathes out his inspiration. The person in the most sophisticated city and the person in the town of five, six, seven thousand, the most country of people, they get together and they, well, separately, they write down this inspiration. Well, you're going to be able to, you're going to tell it as soon as you read it. These are two different people. That's the story of the Bible. These 40-plus authors all have different backgrounds, written over 1,500 years. And so can you imagine if we separated all of us right now and we said, hey, I want you to write part of a story, and I want this area to write part of a story, and I want this group to write part of a story, and I want this group to write part of a story, and then we're going to shake them up, and we're going to pull them out, and we're going to read them and see if it makes any sense. Well, the Bible written by over 40 authors over 1,500 years with a variety of backgrounds makes complete cohesive sense. Every time you hold this book, you hold a miracle. It shouldn't exist. And it shouldn't make sense. And it shouldn't go together. And there's a real, real big reason why all of this happens. And Paul is going to get to that. But all Scripture is breathed out by God. And then he says there's four things that Scripture is useful for. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So Paul tells us that there's four things that this book is marked out for. One, it's teaching. That's where we get doctrine. A doctrine, for instance, the doctrine of marriage, the doctrine of the Lord's Supper, the doctrine of you name it, anytime you can think, oh, a church has a specific reason they do baptism that way or Lord's Supper that way, or they let somebody be a member for that, or they don't let somebody be a member, the Bible is the one that gives us the instruction, and we pull it together, and we create a system, and that system teaches us how to live, and that's called doctrine. So that's the first thing. Paul says it's for your doctrine. And then he says it's for reproof. Reproof is a, a, a proof or conviction. It actually doesn't mean the word the, the way it sounds. Reproof and correction sound similar, but reproof is to give you encouragement or assurance. 
I don't know if you've ever gone through a season of doubt and you picked up your Bible and you begin to read. Maybe it was a decision about how you're going to spend your money or a decision about whether you're going to stay with that person or break up with that person, a decision about a job. I remember I was having my quiet time in, uh, in the fall of 2001. And in the fall of, actually the fall of 2000, in the fall of 2000, I was in Yosemite and I was having my quiet time and I was reading the story of Moses in the Exodus and I was wondering about this girl, Heather Watson, if I should marry Heather Watson. She wouldn't have to make much of a switch. She would just become Heather Nelson. I figured it was easy for her. Uh, And so I was wondering about this girl, Heather Watson, and should we get together or not? And I thought, you know what? I need to quit thinking about that for a minute and I need to honor God and I need to read my Bible. And I was sitting down and I was reading reading my Bible, I was reading the story of Moses when he first went to Pharaoh, and in the reading of that story, the Lord just confirmed to me, Thomas, you ought to marry Heather. And I remember stopping, and I was like, this is so crazy. I'm not reading trying to find an answer for, like, my love life, but I just know that God confirmed to me. And it was a milestone moment, an Ebenezer moment of the Lord can speak to us through his word at any point in any place that he chooses to speak to us. And so, that was reproof. The word reproved me. It gave me evidence and assurance. There's correction, restoring an upright person, uh, a, down, uh, a person who is down to an upright position. And so the reproof, there are times that some of you have to quote a Bible verse to another person and you kind of have to get in their face. Love is patient and love is kind and you are not being patient and you are not being kind. Like that's when you use the Bible to correct someone. And so the Bible is the best at correcting. Why? Because it carries the weight of God with it, not just the weight of you. If you really want to correct someone, you go to the word and you find where are they in error. And then you'll also read in the word. You better be sure that you're not in error before you go to those who are in error. And then there's this training in righteousness, which is changing the course of action or behavior to that which pleases God. And so the more I'm in this book, there's a promise right there. The more I'm in this book, the more the course of my life should alter and be pleasing to God. Not the more I'm in Christian books necessarily. That we've entered a new age, and it's kind of interesting. The, the information age has done some great things for Christianity, and it's done some harmful things for Christianity. There are more Christians that can quote worship songs than they can verses. There are many more Christians, Christians, there are many more, easy for me to say, there are many more Christians that can quote pastors than they can passages. You know, the best example I've ever heard of that is from uh, a guy named Max Licato who wrote this book. Um, he wrote a lot of books. He's written, I don't know how he writes as many books as he does, but uh, he wrote this, this example, and I've used it before, and I'll probably use it again until somebody comes up with something better. But he talked about this food line, this buffet, and he, you walk up to the buffet, and you see the greatest food you've ever seen, and the buffet just goes like, I mean, like, it's like Golden Corral on steroids. Like, the buffet just continues to go, and it just goes and goes and goes, and you see, like, the parking lot 
is full of cars, but when you get in, there's no one in the buffet line until the very end, and you look way down, and, and you're like, man, look at all those people down at the end at the buffet. What is down there? And so you pass by all the stuff, like your vegan dreams are being lived out there, or maybe your carnivore dreams, or maybe like your pescatarian dreams. Whatever your food dream is, like it's happening right in front of you, and you're like, none of that. The dessert dreams, they're all right there, and you pass by all of it, and you get to the very end and you see people just loading their plate with something that's like gooey. It's like it's out of a ladle and it's like coming over the edge and it's kind of chunky. Then it makes like the splatter noise when they put it on their plate. And you're like, what? what is that? And you realize as you get close, it's food people have chewed up and spit back out. And Max Licato said that's how most Christians get their Bible. That's good. So here we go. Uh, I mean, I've been guilty of that too. Like, it's easy to do that. But he says, all scriptures breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, or encouragement, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then he changes his tone and he says something really important. And I think these two passages go together. They're divided by the number four and a chapter break in your Bible, but that was put in there by a scribe a long time ago. Paul did not like write number four and say, come back to this one later. Uh, It was all one scroll. And he says it here. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Let's just pause right there. What if you went to someone tonight before you left, you're over by the welcome table and you're hanging out and you realize all the free Krispy Kremes are gone, all 12 of them, they're gone. They were free, but now they're gone. And you get there and and all of a sudden somebody says, I need you to promise me something. And you're like, okay, I promise you something. And they're like, no, 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 this is serious. And then they start and they say, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. You'd be like, this just turned too serious. We now are on weirdness terms. Like we're not friends, I'm not sure what has happened. You can't get any more serious than to tell someone, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and he's like, of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. Like it went serious when he was talking about the scriptures and now it went like real personal and serious. He's like not being friendly anymore with Timothy. He's being very, very upfront and saying, Timothy, I'm charging you in front of God Almighty and his son who will rule and reign and judge the living and the dead. Timothy, if you're going to do one thing, preach the word. When I started on staff at the church that I was at before this, and that church planted this church, I met our senior pastor, and he would teach these really long Sunday like sermons, and he would teach through the book of like Revelation, and he would teach through Old Testament prophets, and he would teach, and people kept saying, can you do something topical? Can you please do something topical? And every once in a while he would, he would do like, like hot topics then during like the election or whatever. And he would say, all right, I'll teach on abortion or I'll teach on this. Or I'll. And then he would always go back and he would want to teach like a book. He'd want to teach a whole book. And we were like, how, I remember being in worship planning meetings 
And we would say, how many weeks is this series going to be? Because we can really package a series better if it's like four to six weeks. Nobody wants like an eight-week series. And he was like, I know, this one's going to be ten. We were like, perfect. They'll flock. Uh, and so he would, he, then he would say like, I know, I'm really trying to trim it back, but we've got to go through the whole book. The whole book is so good. We've got to go through the whole book. And one day I asked him, I said, how come you don't ever just do like, one, no, no, I'm sorry. He had a passage, he had a Sunday with one verse. And it was like, I had never heard him teach on one verse. And I said, how are you going to teach on one verse? And, uh, and he's got this South Carolina draw that I won't try to do. It's a great draw, mother and father. That's how he talks. Um, but he said, uh, he said, Thomas, I'm just not creative enough to get up there and read a verse and then tell a bunch of stories. He said, I just bore everybody to death. He said, so, if I'm going to teach one verse, I'm going to use a lot of other verses to support it. And at the end of the day, when people leave, if they got bored, at least they heard God's word. And then he went back to his study. And I thought, that's, that's just, it's rich. And some of us on staff loved his style, and some people on staff didn't love his style, but we knew every Sunday we were going to hear the scriptures read and taught. And that's what I love about Christ's covenant. And the other churches here in Atlanta, there are some other churches in Atlanta that are really good at teaching through the scriptures. And I think all of us churches ought to be really good friends because it's becoming more and more rare. And so he says, preach the word. He charged him in front of God and Christ Jesus to do one thing, teach the word. Because there's nothing else a person needs that's found outside of this. I think it's good at this point that we, we pause for just a second. I've got a slide with a bunch of verses. If you want to take a picture, we'll put it up there. But I think it's really important to say, to, to just look real quick, what does the Word say about itself? Here's a few things that the Word says about itself. It says that it's alive and active in Hebrews 4.12. It says that the Word of God is eternal in Isaiah 40 verse 8. In Romans 15, 4, it says, in the scriptures you will find hope. Now, how many times have you like tried to find hope by posting that thing? And you're like, if I post this thing, and if I get enough response, I will have found hope. If this date goes well, I will have found hope. If I get a raise, if I get out of that debt, if I do this thing, I will have found hope. And then two weeks later, you're looking for something else to give you hope. Psalm 119, 105, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Bible gives direction. John 5, 39, the purpose of the scriptures is to reveal God. And I'm going to get to that in just a second. John 1, 1 through 5 and verse 14, Jesus is the incarnation of the scriptures. When you read Jesus, you need to see him as a living, breathing Bible. He is this word in the flesh walking around. And then I ended it with Proverbs 35 through 6 that says the scriptures will prove true. We wonder like how, how, how much is uh, our carbon emission melting the ice caps and how much is it raising the water levels? And you know what? We don't know. It could be a ton. It could be exaggerated. It could be minimized. We don't know. 
one day, I guess we'll find out. We may never find out. We may wash up on the shores of heaven before the study is revealed. Uh, but the scriptures will always prove true. And they'll prove true in your lifetime and in the next lifetime and in the one before years and in the one before that. There's no wondering if you want an anchor, if you want a hope, if you want something to secure yourself on, it's this book. It's sola scriptura, not sola scriptura and some other stuff. I think that Paul really challenged Timothy to preach the word. In season, I'm in verse two, in season and out of season. Because people need the word all the time. And he told him, I want you to use the word and I want you to reprove and I want you to rebuke and I want you to exhort with complete patience and teaching. Sometimes, you're with a brother or sister in Christ, and they've come to you for advice, and you've already given them biblical advice, and they didn't do it, and they went to the thing, and they did the stuff, and they had the same consequences they did last time, and you were like, exactly, that's why I'm telling you to do the thing the Bible says to do. Here's a challenge for you because in a sense you are preaching the word. I want you to slow your roll just a little bit and I want you to become a little more patient because Paul is telling Timothy here, Timothy, as you teach the word, people aren't gonna get it right away. So you need to have complete patience as you teach it. And by the way, teaching it is different than just quoting it. Teaching the word to someone is showing them how to live it out. And so if you really want to help someone and you're preaching the word in a sense to them, maybe not in a context like this where you're up in front of a bunch of folks and you're expounding on the scriptures, but if you are helping a Christian brother or sister and you are teaching them the word, you need to have an active listening conversation where you say, so when you're at the thing or the person does this or suggests that and the Bible is clear about this is the behavior, how are you going to handle yourself? And you help them walk through it. As basic as that sounds, that's much, a much bigger deal than just quoting a verse to someone. And we do that with all patients. I can't tell you, every week I hear like 20 of the same things that come back to me all the time. And I'm like, I could just roll my eyes and be like, I guess people are dumb. But Heather could roll her eyes at me and say, I guess Thomas is dumb because she hears the same things from me all the time. We all need a little patience as we encourage others to follow the Lord. We didn't get where we are in our journey with the Lord overnight. Now, let me just give you a quick, a quick warning. For a long time, I read this book wrong, and Will... Uh, Will Carlisle, our, our worship leader up here tonight, and most every Tuesday night, he gave me a great word. He, um, he encouraged me and challenged me by saying, oh, Thomas, you used to be uh, a Narsa Jesus. And you're like, what's that mean? Well, the real word is exegesis. The way you should read this book is finding out what did the original author mean? And what is this book telling me about God? 
And as a result, how do I order my life rightly to follow God? And I'll give you another, another little picture here. So, one of my, my favorite Bible studies of all time is the Henry Blackaby Bible study, Experiencing God. That is a terrible arrow. Just pretend you know that's an arrow when I move out of the way. Now, here's the picture. The Bible reveals God, and he, that's just not a pretty arrow. Let's fix that. Okay. The Bible reveals God, and God is moving in a direction. The whole story of the Bible shows that God is moving. And here is, here's me, and then, look, if you're a girl, this can be you. All right. So here's the boys, and here's the girls. And here's, here's, what, we, here's what we think. Does that not look... Ah, she's running. It's a very long skirt. It's covering her feet. <laughs> she's running from him. I'm kidding. Um, and so, what we think is, hey, God, show me your will for my life. But that's not how the Bible reads. That's a Narsa Jesus reading of the text. That's a text all about me. And for a long time, I would open up my Bible, and I would look for God's word to me about me for my life. But the Bible tells a different story. It tells about God moving through time and eternity and reaching down to me and inviting me to join his work. The reason so many Christians get so confused in their walk with God is because they can't figure out that God is talking to them through the Bible to invite them to join him in his work. When you read the Bible this way, it will come to life. Speaking of Bibles, I should tell you this also real quick. Let's do the slide, the second one, the one with all the colors on it. Yes. When you pick a Bible, by the way, you should be careful how you pick one. There's three kinds of Bible currently in print. And going from the, the left side to the right side, there's the word for word, there's a thought for thought, and there's a paraphrase type of Bible. My encouragement to you is to have at least a couple of Bibles, one in the word-for-word -word camp, one in the thought-for-thought -thought camp. I also have uh, two in the paraphrase camp. And so here's what we're looking at. We're looking at a long time ago, Paul wrote this. And when Paul wrote this, he wrote it one time, and he sent it to Timothy. Now, when Timothy got it, Timothy probably copied it a couple of times and sent it to a few other folks. Those are called manuscripts of the original. Now, years later, people find a bunch of manuscripts, they put them together, and they said, it's like a game of telephone. Does it still say the same thing? The beautiful thing of the Bible is, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found back in the 1960s, it was fascinating that, yes, the Bible is incredibly well-preserved. And so, what we have is three ways to look at those manuscripts, for instance, from Paul to Timothy. I can translate it to you word for word. That's not going to make as much sense 
as a, as a thought for thought. So, if you have a new international version, an NIV, you have a thought for thought. It's on an eighth grade reading level, and that's why it's really easy to read, because you're like eighth grade reading level. And instead of saying, instead of translating it word for word, which is rough, it's translated thought for thought. So, like, I went to the bathroom. I would say that in English that way, but in Spanish, my verb and subject, my verb and noun would be backwards. And so it'd be like, bathroom, I went. And you'd be like, I don't like that version. And so, but that is how thought for thought reads. And that's why when you read your ESV, your New American Standard, your New King James Version, your New Amer or your NASB, all of those, I think I just said that twice, the NASB, the ESV, uh, those are probably the two most popular right now. There's others. When you read those, sometimes you're like, that's a little blocky. That's okay. Those are great Bibles. That's why I use it to teach out of on, on Tuesday nights. That's why Jason uses it to teach out of on Sunday mornings. It's a good, readable, word-for-word -word translation. But you should also have, I think, an NIV. Get an NIV. Those are great. You can go to the NIV and you're like, oh, that's so much easier to read. Now, it's best if you can look at both of those worlds, though. Now, if you really want to roll the dice and get crazy with things, you ought to get like a message as well. And the reason some of you are like, Thomas, I'm never coming again because you said that. I don't care. I like Eugene Peterson. He's a fascinating guy. Eugene Peterson went back to the Hebrew in the Old Testament, back to the Greek in the New Testament, and he basically said, I'm going to read the Hebrew and I'm going to write a whole big chunk from what I just read into the most modern English I can write it in. I think Eugene Peterson, if he was standing here with me, would say, it is not a study Bible. Don't read this word for word and do some crazy study on it and bank your life on my translation into very modern English. But if you want to read the Bible through and see the story arc in a short period of time, the message might just be your ticket or the new living. And they're kind of fun to read. So I think have them all. We live in America. You can get a Bible tomorrow from Amazon. Just do it. Jeff Bezos wants to send you one. Like, he wants to send you five of them. But I think, I think it's really, really good to understand how these are broken up and why we use what we use. And then Paul rounds all this out in verse 3 by saying, listen, Timothy, the time is going to come when people will not endure sound teaching, but they're going to have itching ears, and they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And if you're an underliner or a highlighter, I think verse 4 is is actually really beautiful and sad poetry. And they will turn away from listening. And they're going to turn away from listening to the truth and they're going to wander off into myths. My friends, we are in the world. It is here where many have itching ears and they're accumulating for themselves teachers on podcasts and in books and in churches that are telling them what they want to hear. And they turn away and they follow after myths. I think you gotta ask the question, 
mean, this is the question that Peter asked in, in John chapter 6, verse 68. Jesus said, are you going to leave too? And Peter, with wisdom from God, answers Jesus back, and he says, Lord, to whom would we go? Uh, on Sunday, if you were here, Jason used uh, the, the Hebrew word for, for weight, and I think it's a great word. The word is kavod. Weight also means glory. So some have translated in the Old Testament the glory of God to the weight of God's glory. In John chapter 1, it says, The Word was with God in the beginning, and the Word became flesh, and He tabernacled, He dwelled among us. Flip over to John 1, and we'll read it together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then you look down at verse 10. It says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. Verse 14, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The picture in that passage in John 1 and in today's world is that we like the darkness. If you ever read the story of the cave, you know that all the people loved living in the darkness. And a few folks realized there was a light outside and there was a whole other world outside. The real world was outside but it was really hard to convince people to come out of the cave because most people love the comfort of the darkness. And I think that's the reason that most people turn from the glory of God. They turn away, as Paul was telling Timothy, many are going to turn away and wander off. And the reason they're gonna turn away is because it's really hard to look at God. In Exodus 33, Moses asked one thing. He said, God, let me look on your face. And God said to Moses, you can't handle looking on my face. To keep your gaze with God is really, really hard. And so often we gaze at him for just a minute and we're in the word and things are good and we're following him and we realize it's his plan and not my plan and he's invited me into his plan and then all of a sudden one day God just convicts us or life seems to come at us sideways and take us out or we have obstacle after obstacle and all of a sudden looking at God is really hard. Maybe it's hard to trust him. Maybe it's hard to believe him. Maybe it's hard because he's like really gone personal with us and he went into a room in our life that we had locked up and barred the door and said, no one can enter here. And he bust in that room one day and said, let's take a look around for a whole bunch of reasons. 
It's really hard to maintain our gaze with God because his weight is heavy. His glory is not mild. And that's the reason his son came. The glory of God became flesh. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us to bridge the gap so that we might look faithfully onto the Father. And maybe you are tempted to look away because God has gotten really personal in your life and he has convicted you about some things and he is busting into the doors of your life and you're like, this is really hot and really uncomfortable and I don't like what you're doing right here. Or some things have happened and you're like, I don't know if I trust you anymore. Look, you've got to ask the question that Peter asked and that is, to whom would you turn? Let me, you know what? I know what speaks a dating analogy. And this is how I'm going to land the plane. Look, when I was in college, I saw this for the first time and I was like, oh, that's good. And my arrows are progressing as the night goes on. And this girl's going to have feet. <laughs> All right. Look, ladies, if this is you, I hope you're prettier than that. <laughs> and fellas, I hope you're proportioned better. If this is you and you're running towards the Lord, and this fellow over here, he's running towards the Lord, maybe there's a bunch of you. All different sizes. <laughs> that one doesn't have feet. Or her. It's easier to do that without feet. Okay. Initially, when you get in Christian community, there's a bunch of you running towards the Lord. But so many times, what we just read happens. And the weight of the glory of God is just too hard to look at. And he's too convicting and he's too strong and he asks too much. And the Bible just echoes all of that. You keep running towards him. And you know, at some point, that girl has a dress on, full dress, there we go, with a design on it. <laughs> at some point, you're probably gonna be running at the same pace with somebody else, and you're gonna realize they're still looking at the Lord, and I'm still looking at the Lord. Let them keep running a little bit, and you keep running a little bit too. But what you're gonna find as you really run after God, and he or she really runs after God, is that the Lord's just gonna sort that part out. There won't be a whole bunch of you left running towards him, not at the same pace in the same place. The sad thing is all the other folks that turned away, 
but I have high hopes for you that because of Christ coming in the flesh, the word coming in the flesh, giving us grace to look on the weight and the glory of God, that we will have the strength to maintain our gaze as we run towards him. And we'll let him work out all the other stuff. The one question you have to ask tonight is, am I willing to hang on to him through this book for one more day? That's all he asks. Hang on to him in this book just for today. And then tomorrow when it starts, do it again. And then when tomorrow's over and the next day starts, do it again. And I think you'll find that the weight of his glory far exceeded living in the shame and the darkness. Let me pray for us. Father, your glory is so strong and so heavy and it's tempting to glance at you and then look away because it's so daunting to see you and your perfection. But Lord, because of our mediator, because of Christ, who's revealed to us in the scriptures, Father, all we have to do is rest in your grace, say yes to you today, and you'll take care of tomorrow. Lord, would you let us be folks who trust your word, who cling to your word, And Lord, may you prove true in your word. And may we not have itching ears to hear anything else. It's in Christ that we pray, Father. Amen.